people waiting. Last time I checked, there were a couple of people in the waiting room. And all right, so head count one, two, three, we're good. All right, let me roll. Let me roll the uh, the intro, and then we'll get right into nice it. Nice mug. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Are you thinking of growing your business or beginning a journey into entrepreneurship? Take a shortcut to success by buying an existing and profitable business the right way. Visit businessbuyeradvantage.com and learn more about my online training, group coaching, and consulting services designed to help you win. Awesome. Well, I'm excited today, everyone, because I've got uh, two uh, experienced business owners uh, who are going to be talking to us a little bit about their own background, their own journey and about how everyone can learn more. So so John and Kelsey, John, why don't we start off? Can you give us a, a quick two-minute intro to let everyone know who may not uh, know you already, who you are, and, and uh, what kind of background in entrepreneurship you've had? Yeah, yep. Thanks for the intro. Uh, so I'm John Wilson. You can find me on Twitter at, at Wilson Companies. Uh, and what I do is I buy and build home service companies in Northeast Ohio. So we're based out of Akron and Cleveland. Uh, we have a large platform. Uh, we're a leading market service provider up here. So we have plumbing, HVAC, electric, drains, and water remediation. Uh, so over the past seven years, we bought nine businesses. We've started four. And um, I don't know, every day it gets better. I'm having a good time doing it. I really like my space, and I, I hope to keep doing this for a long time. So that's me, probably 30 seconds. Awesome, awesome. And, and Kelsey, you're in the same region of Ohio. Why don't you give us a little Correct. bit of a background of your journey and, and sort of what your company, what uh, what businesses you're in today? Yeah. So uh, thanks for having us on today, Dave. Um, my company is 365 Holdings. Uh, my uh, story there is uh, unlike John, who's a solo founder. I have a business partner. His name is Justin. He and I have been together for a long time. And prior to uh, e-commerce, Justin and I had kind of a, a mini hold co of a lot of interesting businesses. But when we really found some scale was when we went online about our first e-commerce business. So that's where today we've got a portfolio of about 12 different e-commerce businesses, uh, mostly run on a shared services model out of Akron, Ohio. Uh, but we have a team around the globe and uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it as well. Now, when you say e-commerce businesses, I mean, some people might think of a website that makes money off of affiliate links and, and things of this nature, but but your business is really very much a, a real world business. You just happen to sell online. Can you kind of describe sort of the back yeah. end uh, that you guys operate? Yeah, we are merchants first and foremost. So we uh, make most of our own products. Some of the things we buy, but by and large, we're making or private labeling our own consumer products. We're selling those consumer products on our own branded websites and a little bit on Amazon. Uh, our business is probably 85, 90% direct to consumer off our sites where we're doing SEO and email traffic and Facebook and Google and about 10% on amazon.com and some other websites as well. Yeah, great. And, and, and thank you for that because I, I, I often find when people start talking about online businesses, they'll get an idea of what- It gets abstract really fast, yeah. I, I, you, you must own a, at least one forklift. 
we have, we have several. So I'm in the office today and downstairs is our warehouse and there's lots of racking and some manufacturing equipment and uh, belts with boxes on them and a couple forklifts. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Th this is great. Um, now, you guys, the reason I had you on today is because we're going to talk about the conference that you guys put on in a little bit. But um, when you use the term Holdco, um, you know, th the, it's short for holding company. And so I could, if I own a business, I could go in to see my attorney or my accountant one day and they might say, hey, there's various legal or tax reasons why we should reorganize and give you a hold co or move your real estate. But can you give me the sense of what you mean when you say hold co? Is a definition a little bit different than just technically being the owner of a holding company that, that holds the shares of your operating company, isn't it? I'm going to let John go first because I want to see if we have the same answer or not. And I already know what I'm going to say. So... Okay. Take it away. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different variations of Holdco. That's that's probably, it's like the family office joke. If you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office. Uh, so so that's how I feel about Holdco's too. Like Kelsey and I both run a Holdco model and our businesses look absolutely nothing alike at all. Uh, from a definition of what this thing is, is a, a holding company is a company that holds other companies. And there's no operating activities inside the holding company. So the holding companies up here, portfolio companies down here, all the operating activity happens down here and, you know, profits or cash flow or whatever rolls uphill. So that's how I define it. Does that happen in yours? Does the cash go up? So usually, usually it's cash goes down. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. So uh, that's the definition of a whole code, but it, it can look a lot of different ways. So right now uh, we're sort of in this funny thing where, We've been running, you know, sort. it's like hold codes and hold codes. It's like a Russian doll situation. So we'll have a, a home service hold co and that has five brands in it. Then we'll also have a real estate holding company. Uh, we have some stuff for our media and we're trying to simplify it as we go, but we're still holding various activities inside one holding company. Okay. And, and Kelsey, do you agree with that or do you have a slightly different twist on it? Uh, I agree with it, but my answer would be different, which is I think when I say hold co and I think about maybe the conference and just kind of general interest in the topic these days, um, I really just think of like multi-business entrepreneurship, people who mm -hmm. want to make their career as an entrepreneur doing more than one thing. And maybe there's some like intersection of like um, the four hour work week and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Warren Buffett. And you put it all in, in a jar and you mix it up and you get somebody that's crazy enough, maybe like John or I to say, one business isn't enough. I need, I need six to really keep myself, you know, interested. Uh, and that's, that's hold co life. Okay. And so I guess the, the legal peculiarities aside to how things are structured and what the minute book says and all this kind of stuff. Um, really what we're talking about is a person who is directing an organization that is definitely involved in, in dissimilar business activities. Do we agree For on sure. that? So even yeah. though John's focused on home services, I think he would tell you plumbing is different than electrical. And even though I do e-commerce, Amazon is different than direct to consumer. Uh, businesses where we make our products are different than businesses where we buy our products. Um, then markets are different. The operations of those companies are different. So uh, there's degrees of integration or degrees of diversification that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, if either one of us bought an ice cream shop and it was a retail store, it'd be very different than what we're currently doing. Um, but but certainly, Should yeah, we? we are. We can uh, maybe a bowling alley would be a good idea. Yeah. Um, yes, I would, I would agree with what you said, Dave. Okay. So 
so I've got a question. I, I even wrote this one down to be prepared. So, so what aspirations or expectations do you think entrepreneurs have when they make the decision? I want to go down this path. If, let's say somebody owns one business today and they say, you know what, owning five more sounds great. What do you think that they feel they're going to get out of it? Can you recall maybe to that point in your own history or, mm -hmm. or through your conversations? I remember exactly what I thought would, <laughs> would happen. So yeah, I think I was reading, it was probably Rich Dad, Poor Dad, <laughs> like a sure. decade ago. And I think the idea was a diversification of cash flow. So, mm -hmm. okay, so I it was more, it was less, hey, I want to be in five different things and more, hey, I'm freshly married and I want to make sure that I can always cover my bills and like take care of my family. So, uh, so I'm going to have this and this thing's going to spit off $500 a month. Uh, so that was originally how my hold co was built was it was this cash flow diversification play of, Hey, I'm going to have 10 rental properties. They're going to give me a thousand dollars a month and that's going to be sweet. And then I'm going to have this plumbing company and that's going to pay my W two, which I'll use for my day to day life. And then we're going to have this little crypto portfolio. And, and you know, I was 22 years old at the time. So we sort of designed it to spit off little bits of cash. And I think mm -hmm. that that's how most people uh, from the small business world start off into, into hold coast. I would largely so, agree with that hundred percent. Okay. So, yeah. so it's kind of like how a stock market investor might decide to have a diversified portfolio yeah. by buying a couple of different mm -hmm. stocks. That's, that's yeah. And, and, and I mean, this is the stuff that I hear too. I mean, I hear people yeah. say like, don't have your, all your eggs in one basket and all this kind of thing. Now, now back when I was in business school, which was the early nineties, um, we were like just after a period of time of, you know, the whole barbarian at the gate mm -hmm. era on wall street, where there were these big conglomerates and everything. And one of the things I learned in business school is that these big conglomerates often traded at a discount to the asset value of their, their holding companies. And what the professors told me was that the market recognized that when you have all these different disparate enterprises, it's hard to be focused and really have the concentration mm -hmm. to get each one of these businesses to perform. Now that's kind of the big business Wall Street kind of environment. But so, but I'm going to ask you guys the same question. Do you, do you feel sometimes, or do you know that because you've got these different things going on that, that you're not able to really give the right concentration and focus to one particular business? I've got uh, so, two, I've got, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm passionate about this one. So, um, <laughs> One, like corporate finance, Wall Street valuation, some of the parts analysis, conglomerate discount is uh, very real, but not directly applicable to small business. You get a bit of an apples and oranges thing. Um, mm -hmm. And in the public markets, if you have a good business, uh, that business probably could and should be individually capitalized and traded and has its own set of opportunities out of it. If you have um, a portfolio of e-commerce businesses, a portfolio of home services businesses, and maybe you have a, an ice cream stand or a bowling alley in there somewhere. Um, the question you're really getting to is like, is my marginal unit of, of value, time, attention, capital, is that best placed putting more into the thing I already have or into diversification? And I would argue that for most average small businesses, and most small businesses are average, there's a few that are exceptional. It's kind of like a bell curve, right? Um, the exceptional ones, any entrepreneur probably should focus on. If you can get an exceptional outcome, if you can sell to private equity for a huge multiple, if you can grow it really, really fast, you probably are best served to really do that. But those businesses are so few, 
and so far between, especially in acquisition entrepreneurship, where you're buying an existing business that already has product market fit. And so the question you're really asking is like, where should I put my, my excess, my time, my attention, my energy, my capital? And I'm of the opinion, if you have a portfolio of average businesses, that 80% effort on a portfolio of businesses isn't all that different of an outcome as 99% effort on a portfolio of businesses. And your answer may be to go ahead and diversify further and have the uh, perhaps lower absolute return at the 99th percentile outcome, but maybe a lower risk path to getting there, maybe better work-life balance. There's some other kind of abstract motivations, I think, that make that mm -hmm. diversification beneficial. Uh, if you are that outlier business that can grow like crazy and get a, a huge multiple and all that stuff, like for sure, that's very, very valid. Um, I don't think it's always quite that easy that John or I could just tomorrow sell off all but one and suddenly we have a better opportunity in front of us because of that. It's a good idea in a textbook. It's hard to do in practice. Mm. I don't know, John, I, yeah, I think that resonates with you. I think you're mostly right. I think our business is a little bit different um, than probably the norm because we're a Kelsey's focused on e-commerce, but e-commerce isn't a category. It's like how you distribute goods. Right. Uh, we're we're a category. We are home service and we are licensed home service in a very specific geography. So our ability to sell as a whole or our ability to be valued as a whole is different than Kelsey's ability to be valued as a whole. So I think that it probably like it depends. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, are, are you in the same vertical? Are you in the same category? You know, Kelsey's got emergency food and he has like machetes or, or knives. And those are uh, maybe the and same diapers, end, and diapers. And diapers yeah. And so yeah, maybe yeah. the same end buyer, but that'd be a hard thing to go to market like as a, as a whole with um, over the past few years, our hold co, you know, I, I said how it started. It was diversification of cash flows for me personally. But over the years, we've gotten much more and more focused. So now we are, the holding company is almost barely a holding company at this point, like it was a few years ago. We are now a home service company in Northeast Ohio that happens to run in a hold co model. But from the outside looking in, we're a home service company. So I, I think it depends how you structure it. And it depends what who, who you're providing your services to. At at some now, John, you said you started off looking for that income diversity based on your personal and family needs. And so at, at a certain point, did the object or the goal change from the diversification to mm -hmm. building something that you think is going to have a greater value long term if you ever decided to exit? Yes. So our my first company was my family's third generation company. And when I took it over, it was doing about a million dollars in sales. So when I took it over, it wasn't um, it wasn't this enterprise. And I had watched it roughly stay the same my entire uh, life. And I knew that it was roughly that size when my grandfather ran it too, from you know sixty five years ago at this point. So. When I went into it, I didn't imagine that it would grow and I didn't imagine that it would blossom into this uh, thing that it is today. I imagined that it would continue doing what it had done for at that point, 58 years and that that's what it would be. So I had to diversify cash flows in order to protect myself. And that's how I would grow. I would take, I would do what most entrepreneurs do. They take cash from their business, they put it into real estate. So that's how, how I first imagined it would go. When the business started really thriving, 
um, we started getting rid of our other activities because the business was so large uh, and taking up so much cash that I needed that cash in order to, you know, put that right back into the business. So we sold off our properties. We put into the business. We exited these other things. We put that cash into the business. And a um, couple of reasons. One, I wanted to like focus on the one thing and two, uh, because of the way we're valued, it is really difficult for me to go get into a random thing. Like I could not yeah. rationally go get into like a coffee shop or an ice cream shop or whatever Kelsey's idea was because I, I like the way we're valued at our size, any dollar that doesn't go into increasing our enterprise value is like it, it you might as well light that dollar on fire because it, it didn't do anything for the greater whole. So okay. as it got larger, we basically, uh, we were victims of our own success where we had to push more and more into this thing to keep it rolling so that it could eventually have a greater enterprise value. Okay. And so, so, so then yes, like, I mean, you, you've moved from this personal income diversification to now I want to concentrate on I'm as non-diversified as it gets. We we still run okay. a hold co, uh, but it's a roll-up inside home services and very ge geographically focused. Now, you decided to focus on the geography. The other way you could have gone was to say just in plumbing, but then yeah. gone to other markets. And yeah. so what was it the opportunistically why you stayed in the same area or was it a, a strategic decision just because that's the, the turf you knew? Yeah, um, lifestyle honestly was the only reason that decision. So uh, I'm young. I like, I like my wife. I, I would like to stay married. And I have two young kids and I want to put them to bed every night. And those were my non-negotiables for my life. So it, any, anything that took me away professionally uh, from my family uh, for work travel was just not really interesting to me. Um, so what that looked like for us was scaling our primary trades um, and then sort of adding on these tertiary trades as it got larger and larger. That way we could build mass inside one geography because if you're staying in one geography, you have to add sort of adjacent services in order to continue the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and Kelsey, now you're delivering through e-commerce. So your customers can be anywhere that you can ship to. Um, you've also done acquisitions, but I'm guessing your acquisitions haven't all been in the Ohio area. We tend to um, buy what's available that we think is a good asset to own. And then operationally, uh, we tend to centralize operations. Um, but yeah, we've bought businesses from Utah to Boston to Texas to uh, Wisconsin. Okay. And then you bring them all back to, because you've, I'm imagining this one big facility that serves all the businesses. Is that correct? correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and did your strategy go through any kind of evolution or change? I mean, you mentioned getting into the e-commerce stuff. Did After you saw what you could do in the e-commerce world, did you then divest those other businesses that you had before? We did. Yeah. Yep. And and looking forward, is it just is your plan more of the same, like more of these kinds of businesses? If you can see it fitting into your, your central uh, warehouse location, is that one of the key factors you look for? I recently had the wild idea to um, meet with John and home services here locally. So we're going to try that for a little bit. Really? Really. 
Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so you, you bought a plumbing company or something like that? Something like that. It, it, we have something, something under uh, LOI right now that is not e-commerce. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Um, that, we should that's, we that's should really put we should put money on this. <laughs> we should. <laughs> I I need to put it on your side though, so yeah. that if it goes poorly, I have uh, some upside. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to that, the question I asked about what people expect, you know, now that you guys are both in it, how can you say that that uh, maybe your your expectations were incorrect, or what are some of the reality takeaways that? that you didn't expect that have kind of uh, faced you in a big way trying to manage all these different things? Um, I can go first. So I didn't know what I didn't know. So when we started off, again, it was diversification of cash flow. And I think that's how most people think about hold co's, which I think is a great place to start. Um, And I think what inevitably happens, and we we know so many people, not even us, uh, but so many people that start similarly where they start off in this hold co for cash flow diversification, they have a winner and that winner blows up. And then they, you know, Bill Delisandro is a great example. I think he had seven brands. He's down to one, but he ran a hold co for six, seven years. It was an aggregator in uh, e-commerce, but they were doing, I think dog food is the, it's a pet brand, right? Pet um, yeah. Uh, so I think it, it's okay. However, it starts. Um, I think investing behind whatever the winner is probably the right decision for most people. The only reason I can think of doing it any other way is like having investors money and your job is to diversify. So if we raise $20 million and my job was to put it in seven different spots, then, you know, that'd be different, but we have a, a decent number of independent sponsors that are doing just that, that go to the conference. Okay. I mean, look, there's there's no rules, right? Like this is a career path that um, attracts a certain personality type, yep. typically outcome-driven, goal-oriented. Um, Psychopaths. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes that manifests itself as focus into building a home services platform or building the biggest X, Y, or Z. Sometimes it manifests itself as building this diversified lifestyle business of uncorrelated income streams. I don't think there's a right answer. I think there's a little bit of um, knowing yourself, your risk tolerance, your aspirations, and frankly, your opportunity set of like what comes your way and what you can execute on. Um, I think it's stages. Yeah. But if I had like the one thing that I thought I could sell it all off and just focus on one, it would become humongous and I'd sell it for a bajillion dollars one day. Like I probably would do that if I thought I could uh, until that becomes obvious to me as a good idea. We're going to keep doing the diversified, uncorrelated, multiple streams of income play. Yeah. No, what you were pointing out earlier about how the vast majority of small businesses are pretty average makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I've I've met many entrepreneurs who've been trying to scratch their head and figure out how do I grow this thing? How do I grow? And and I guess at some point, if you just say, well, what if I can't? What if it's just not an outcome? What then do I do? Uh, It might naturally lead you to this kind of thing. There's Mm -hmm. a myth of like product market fit means I can scale for forever. I I have this million dollar business. So obviously I can make it a hundred million dollar business. You probably can't. There's very few nine-figure businesses. It's much more likely you have a really good $1 million business that's saturated its total addressable market at that margin profile, at that product market fit. And the best thing you can do as an entrepreneur is to take the five hours a week it takes you to run that, not stretch it to 40, and go use your 35 hours to go do something else. Play with your kids, volunteer, uh, travel, buy another company, like literally do anything because the other 35 hours might not grow that business in its current setup. Okay. 
Okay. Now, now I, I attended HoldCodeConf last year, and 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 it was awesome. And one of the one of one of the nice things that we did was we spent a lot of time just socializing and chit chatting with people. And Kelsey, you and I uh, played a game of bowling. And you told me the story about how you were once a business broker. Do you want to give people an insight into that time? And can you let us know, did that experience, does it help you today in what you're doing? Uh, So I am uh, best defined as unemployable. Um, One of my first uh, quote unquote jobs was being a a business broker, which when you're like 23 and you're running around your community, talking to people that are your grandparents age about selling their company uh, has mixed results sometimes. Um, certainly it was helpful to me to understand, uh, the mechanics of small business M&A. Um, I look back and maybe think about some of the things that I tried to do back then and kind of laugh at myself. So certainly as a crash course, uh, better to do it young and broke, um, in an advisory capacity than on your own balance sheet when you real money's at play and you have a mortgage and family and things. Um, so certainly it was formative. I learned a lot doing that and, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything. Awesome. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the conference. Um, who should be thinking about attending? What, what, who is the the avatar, so to speak, of someone who would get great value out of this? John, what, what uh, how would you describe that person? So the ideal Holdco Conf attendee already has one business. Uh, there is a boot camp out there for people thinking about it in general, but the conference is really geared towards one or more businesses desiring to grow through the Holdco model. And Holdco can either be diversified cash flow streams or it can be a roll-up like what I'm doing, a very specific uh, focused roll-up. So uh, that's the general idea. So founders, entrepreneurs, executives of holding companies with one or more business that are wanting to grow through Holdco. Okay. And and what is the the user interface like, Kelsey? Like what, what are people going to expect when they show up there? Um, because I think uh, one of the taglines you guys have thrown out a lot is that it's a, it's an unconference. Mm-hmm. So if you've been to like um, the Holiday Inn kind of experience where you sit in chairs all day long and there's people on and off stage pitching things from whatever company they work for, uh, maybe disillusion you of, of that idea. Um, I like to go to events that are, that are fun and also educational. Um, and so we've kind of architected that experience into HoldCoConf. So well, we have main stage sessions, yes, but they're operator focused. They're not sponsors pitching you know, the latest uh, latest product for you to buy. They're really in-depth conversations with uh, some of the best and brightest names in the Holdco space and, and elsewhere to provide guidance, inspiration, answers to questions. Uh, and that's kind of the smallest part of the agenda. The biggest part of the conference is probably when you and I were bowling and just having a real down-to-earth entrepreneur-to-entrepreneur conversation. So a lot of time for great food, great drinks, great conversation, some fun activities. Uh, I think one of the days is a half day where last year we did everything from rock climbing to um, a boat ride that involved uh, afternoon be- adult beverages and uh, and the like. And so we're going to have a lot of that kind of fun stuff this year. Um, I don't want to spoil any surprises, but the act- activities are fun. So to answer your question about the user interface, uh, it is not a traditional conference. It is a lot of fun, a lot of education, but really it's focused on the relationship piece of getting entrepreneurs and executives and founders connected so you can solve some of those pressing problems. I find most people go to a conference because they want to figure out how to solve something. How do I hire this position? How do I solve this financing mm-hmm. problem? How do I tackle this question of strategy? And where, where can I find somebody, maybe not a mentor, but like farther along the path than me. And they've been there and done that. And I can glean some wisdom or some insights or some advice. And building those um, 
opportunities for interaction where those aha moments can happen is kind of the whole point. Whether it happens in a main stage session or on a boat with a beer or over breakfast, uh, that should be something that is prevalent through somebody's experience at the conference. Well, I mean, I know I had lots of great conversations and one of my big takeaways was just how unique everyone's, you know, to your family office mm -hmm. joke earlier, just how unique everyone's situation was. I know that um, a lot of people who envision, you know, creating a hold code, they think, well, this is going to be a way for me, for example, to have centralized services that I can mm -hmm. gain efficiencies of scale out of. I remember meeting one gentleman and they owned, he and some partners owned several home services companies. And when they realized how much each of them were spending on digital marketing, you know, social media marketing and stuff, they went and bought a digital media, social media marketing company, not to be part of their central hold code, but to be another opco. And they just, you know, they, that company now serves their other company, but it's intended to be a profit center on its own. It's got its own, you know, budget and sales force and all that kind of stuff and its own outside clientele as well. But it just it it just highlighted how all these different people end up arriving at different kinds of solutions uh, as they analyze the problem and try to figure out what's best for them. Yeah, we had um, we, one of the things that surprised me, but I liked it a lot last year was when we first launched the conference. You know, Kelsey and I talk a lot publicly about acquiring companies. I was surprised how many people came in that were launching companies. Um, so I think Nick Huber is a good example right now. Uh, where he's launched these like six or eight companies, I don't even know. They were all service providers from his existing business, and now they're outside agencies, sort of like the story that you just shared. Um, but we had a few people like that that were, um, you know, they had a core business, and they just started launching agencies off the side of that core business. Or Stephen Ullman launches, you know, he just finds partners, and then he launches something interesting. Uh, Mike Girdley is the same way. So we, we had... There's a lot of different flavors, which I, I liked because I think it would have been boring if it was just like, ah, would you, you know, would you pay for that one? But it was it was like, yeah, you know, we, we built this thing over here and then we we're like, we're going to build this thing over here. And how do they connect? How do they intersect? How do they grow? Um, and that was cool. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you, you mentioned a couple of names there. So you've got uh, and we'll, we'll put up the website here in a minute. People can go and check out the website to find out who all the speakers are. But we've got the main stage lineup of people that are going to be sort of speaking to all the attendees. And then uh, would you have some like breakout sessions and things too? I think you did that last year. Yes, yeah, so we are doing breakouts. Everybody that's listed on the website is a main stage session, either keynote or fireside, fireside chat style or Q&A session. Um, we're going to have a bunch of small group conversations. Those would be a bit more dynamic, uh, hosted by either speakers or just other conference attendees. Maybe John will host one on home services or I'll talk about marketing or whatever. Um, but really an opportunity to bring that question or that problem uh, in kind of a confidential but uh, open manner with some other people and say, hey, like we're trying to figure out this. How do I solve hiring for operators and general managers? What's everybody doing for that? How does it work? And like, let's let's talk about that for an hour less of a keynote and more of a just a breakout or problem solving session. So that was some feedback we got last year was to really kind of uh, build that with some intentionality. So we'll have about a dozen or so of those happening throughout the course of the conference and letting people kind of do a choose your own adventure of topics to make sure the most pressing idea or struggle on your mind is solved while you're at the event. Yeah. One of the, one of the common things that I hear from people that have been very successful in the world of small business is sometimes uh, how they, 
feel isolated or they don't have a lot of colleagues or friends that are kind of in the same boat. And if you were looking to build a collection of people that that you might be able to share with or collaborate with or mm -hmm. talk to, just the person you pick up the phone and run ideas by, you know, or, or even to create something as formal as a mastermind. I mean, this kind of event would definitely be a place where you can meet people that you may fit very well with. That was the whole idea. Yeah. I mean, you, we had the same problem. Kelsey and I are blessed now to have a few different informal chats with a lot of the people that are going to the conference. Um, but that, that was the whole idea. We we've met various people through Twitter and they say, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that other people did this. I thought that I was alone out in, you know, wherever Minnesota, um, that is the exact example I'm thinking of right now. It was Aaron and he had no idea other people did it. He had eight companies. He launched a couple, he had a couple restaurants, he had all these different things going on and, uh, he'd never met anybody else. And it's like, Hey, was, there's 120 of us is going to meet in Cleveland in about a month. <laughs> that was actually the, the Genesis. Like John and I met and we realized that for mm -hmm. as different as, um, we are as, as human beings and our businesses can be. There were some similarities, revenue run rates, headcounts, problems. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of topics that heavy overlap. And that was a, a big part of the genesis of the conference is, hey, we're both here physically, uh, but there must be more of us. And how do we get everybody mm -hmm. together? Yeah. And so this year, what are the dates? It's going to be in Cleveland again at, at the same venue, which was a, a comedy club, which was a, a fantastic venue. I, I really mm -hmm. like the space. What are the dates going to be this year? September, September 18th. Oh. Please. <laughs> September 18th through the 20th in Cleveland. So the, the exciting part this year is you just have to show up. So we got hotels and we took care of everything. So hopefully just show up, you just get yourself there and then we'll take care of the rest. Awesome. And, and everything starts off Monday morning and wraps up Wednesday night. So people want to show up mm -hmm. like on a Sunday night or Monday morning and then stay until and fly home Thursday. Is that the idea? And Monday afternoon is the official kickoff. If you're in town early, okay. we'll have folks get together for Sunday dinner just because we're all here. Um, we expect okay. some small crowds on Sunday. And then uh, early afternoon is kind of the kickoff on Monday. Recommend you stay through Wednesday night, fly on Thursday. And again, awesome. as John said, we've got everything covered from the time you arrive to the time you leave. You just got to fly to Cleveland. And um, you guys were good enough to share a discount code for the audience. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I put up a banner on the screen here for everyone listening to the audio. It's holdcoconf conf.com one word holdcodeconf.com and if people use the code dcb at checkout there's a discount that comes off of that that uh, all-inclusive price so that and, and this is awesome thank you very much for for doing that for everyone um so i got one big question for both of you uh, on each of your websites there's a place where you can look at all of your different brands and neither of those pages has holdcodeconf as a brand What's up with that? Yeah, that is funny. I, I think I made this joke. I made this joke. It was a couple months ago, and I was sort of describing to somebody what a hold co was. And and they're like, yeah, but you're all in home service. I'm like, I launched a conference. Like, th this is like the best example of a hold co. Is like, hey, we've got your home service. You got your conference. You got your real estate. <laughs> yeah, I, we should add that in. That's a good point. <laughs> I think we had it in, and we removed it because people got confused. It's like okay. the entrepreneurial dilemma of like, what do you do for a living? Well, like we own a bunch of companies. It's mm -hmm. kind of weird. Uh, it makes it a little easier to explain in our vertical of like e-commerce of, oh, we should do e-commerce stuff. And if you want to sell your e-commerce business, come talk to us. Um, I find in my circles, actually, people assume it's an e-commerce event. And I'm like, there's like 
five out of the 100 people there that sell things on the internet. Most of them have like, you know, plumbing business or trucks on the road or they manufacture things or do software. Um, so I, I think we had it up. I think we took it down, actually. So, you know, you, you talked about buying versus launching. So when when you two launched this new business last year, this conference and event business, um, it was new to to both of you. What now, after it's been almost a full year, you're about to do the second uh, second annual edition. What were some of your biggest surprises or learnings from getting into this very new kind of business? Uh, what, Kelsey, why don't we start with you? Um, oh, man, I've got a lot of things to say about my beloved partner here, Mr. John Wilson. Um, <laughs> uh, business with friends is, is fun. Uh, it's good to have a side hustle business. This is, this is essentially a passion project for, for both of us. Um, and it's always more work than uh, a couple of idea guys like John and I um, tell our teams and our, our coworkers that it will be. Um, and so tends to be a lot of um, under planning and uh, then a lot of last minute hurry and hustle to, to pull it off. Uh, so fun, but also uh, definitely a, a passion project. Okay. Yeah. I, John, I, what were your big takeaways? I had... Uh... Yeah, again, I, I, it was definitely funny. Uh, Kelsey and I are good friends. It was definitely funny working together because we are very different working together. Um, <laughs> we got we got there, but it was it, it's still funny. I think we've done a lot better this year than we did last year. Uh, but you know, this year we know what to expect. Um, besides that, I honestly had no idea how much fun I would have. Uh, I had never thrown an event before. I had just gone to events, so it was it was so different than my day-to-day -day life. Like my day-to-day -day life is like, I go into work, I support my managers and we try to sell hot water tanks. Like, you know, so then being able to like, man, we've got 120 people and we've got this budget to like, how do we show people the best time ever and spend as much money as we can doing it? Like that is totally different than anything that I've ever done. And I had a lot of fun. Um, We've been Googling like um, illegal fireworks and like, what is it a misdemeanor? Is it a felony? Like, if, right, right. Like, like we're going to do happens? it, but like, what's the, what's the penalty, you know? Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the budget item for the fine we'll have to pay? Correct. Yeah, that's, kind of that's exactly yeah. right. But yeah, it, it was just totally different. Uh, besides that distribution has been really interesting. Again, I, I know like demand distribution, like I have water coming out of my floor. What do I do? I don't know. Uh, or I didn't know. Hey, I want to learn how to run my business better. So distribution has been really interesting. Um, and everything that goes into an event, I just had no idea, but we're on our, we, so we had a cold co comp, uh, first one last year. Then we had a boot camp in April, right? May. Uh, so this is now our third event together. Uh, the boot camp was smaller. I think we had about 30 to 35 people. Yeah. Um, but you know, we get a little better each time. So maybe in five or six years, we'll be pros. So uh, obviously the, when the event was going on, there were all kinds of people, you know, staff, that, and, and I'm guessing some of these are pulled from the ranks of your other organizations, right? People that were coming over and doing mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and it wasn't certainly just the two of you planning everything. So has this grown to the point where there's a, like, a, a, are there employees of this, of a conference now that work all the time on this? Okay. Last, last year we used uh, an outside event planning team. Uh, this year we took somebody actually from my organization that was already doing multiple projects and kind of made them the de facto um, Hold Co Conf chairman of the board. 
Uh, mm -hmm. So Kristen's done a great job planning and executing things. And then um, last year, yeah, we did pull some uh, employees and interns from both organizations to staff. We realized this year we have some demand from um, a category of in individuals that I don't think should buy a ticket. So people want to learn about Holdco's, mm -hmm. and I don't think they should spend five grand to come to Cleveland. And those tend to be people who want to buy their first business. And so we decided to make uh, an internship, not internship, excuse me, a volunteer opportunity for those that are okay. like Holdco curious, but that I'm like, I don't feel good taking $5,000 from you. Like you don't even own a company yet. Like I know you want to own a Holdco one day, but like you should you should go spend your money buying a business, not, not learning about Holdco's. Yeah. If you want to come volunteer, though, like get exposure to all this, don't pay five grand, just cover your hotel room. And so we launched that, that volunteer uh, application this year. And we have like eight really interesting people coming from actually all over the country uh, to volunteer because they want to be in the room where it happens and meet people and, and participate. But uh, they're also willing to help, uh, which is kind of a really fun thing for, for John and I, I think, to let um, some of the searchers and Holdco Curious uh, that are out there uh, come and have a unique way to experience the conference uh, without the price tag that is easy to expense if you're a business owner and hard to justify if you're a first time searcher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. You know, it's just the general marketing thing. Sometimes it, you know, you're busy out there trying to attract your ideal client. Sometimes it makes sense to tell people who is not your ideal client just to try to create a little bit of a hurdle for them uh, so they don't end up, you know, Mm -hmm. being dissatisfied in some way afterwards. It's not yeah, even a sales been, tactic. It's like, I yeah. I wouldn't feel good about somebody who doesn't own a business deciding this was the best way to spend $5,000. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it is. I, I know the content we're crafting and it's for people with companies. And so if you don't have one yet, like by all means buy one. And as soon as you do, like come to the conference or we have the boot camp, which we do, which is much more scaled back cost wise and is more geared mm -hmm. toward getting started. Um, mm -hmm. Conference is just kind of fun because we have a lot of people and it's a great way to network. But um I would not feel good about a, a first-time aspiring owner making that the first investment they make with their professional development dollars. Yeah. Well, first of all, nobody should be spending five thousand dollars because they're going to use this code DCB That's and right. they're going to save money off the price, right? So, right. yeah, mm -hmm. awesome. Um, this has been great. Um, thank you guys for taking the time to come out and uh, and and talk with us and mm -hmm. and share a little bit about uh, about your experience and about going through the whole Joe hold code journey. Um, anything else you want to wrap up with, or maybe just uh, some final uh, shout out or announcement or detail that, uh, that you think is important for people to know about the conference. I think the only thing that I have is if you happen to be in Monday, late morning, um, we're going to have a sign up. We have a group of people walking through our headquarters. Um, a few people reached out, asked if while they were in town, they could check it out. So I think right now we have like 15 or 16 people going. So it turned into a little bit of a thing. But if you're home service curious, uh, you're welcome to come to our brand new, still very much under construction headquarters. <laughs> awesome. Kelsey? Uh, registration will be closing soon. If you're interested, um, just email us in or find John or I on Twitter and send us a message. But happy to help if it's of interest. And uh, if you are kind of identifying with that, I want to be crazy and have two or more operating businesses. This is probably the event for you. We'd, we'd love to see you and take advantage of Dave's code. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Hang on for just one sec. For everyone else, thank you very much for joining us live. And uh, we'll see you next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Go over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. 
You can learn more about my books and courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, and more. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go to Mark Willis at Lake Growth Financial, today's video sponsor. Mark helps people better manage their personal and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've seen others use it successfully for years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find all the interviews I've done with Mark and learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up for a free consultation to learn what this solution might look like for you.